The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word, and as we get into the Word this morning, we're going to continue in a series. And the series has been about love. We're breaking down uh, the biblical definition of love for the purpose of gaining a better understanding of what it means to love. Uh, here's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word this morning. Uh, we're going to find out, uh, one, what happens when God lives in us or when He abides in us. The word that the Scripture uses is abides in us. It really means to dwell in or to live within. As some of you may remember uh, being, you know, uh, uh, witness to when you were younger and people would, would ask uh, if you wanted to invite Jesus into your heart, you know. I mean, so there's this, this need for God to dwell within us, this call for God to dwell within us, this promise that God will dwell within us. And we're going to find out what happens when that promise is fulfilled, what happens when God abides in us. A second thing that we're going to find is how to beat temptation. I mean, how many of you have ever been tempted before in your life? I mean, hands should go up. We're, it's, we get a little embarrassed to talk about that, but I deal with temptation often. I mean, there's things that exist in the world that are trying to draw you away from the things of God, and we've got to deal with that. The Scripture gives us a direction in how to overcome temptation, and when we understand what the Scripture instructs and we apply it to our lives, we'll greatly enjoy the results. Uh, so another thing we're going to find, a third thing, is what we need in order to receive God's promise. We're going to see what the Scripture says we need in order to receive the promise of God. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and start off with what happens when God abides in us. What happens when God dwells in us? I want to give you a passage of Scripture here. It's a passage of Scripture that we've visited for a number of weeks, uh, laying the foundation for the series here. 1 John chapter 4 beginning in verse 7. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, we read these words. They're going to sound very familiar if you've been a part of the series. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Uh, the passage goes on to say that, Beloved, because God loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now that's the point that I want to emphasize. That when we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. <clears throat> the first thing that we mentioned is what happens when God abides in us. That was going to be something we were going to uncover in the scripture. We see that revealed to us here in 1 John when we see that when we love one another, God abides in us and then the result is his love is perfected in us. So here's kind of a, a test or a tip or, or a tool that you can apply to, to do a check there. Is God's love perfected in me? So if you continue reading in 1 John, you're going to find a passage of Scripture that I think is, is extremely important. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, speaking about the results of God's love being perfected. When you come to the passage there in verse 18, it's going to read something like this. It's going to read that there is no fear in love. But perfect love, or love that's been perfected, casts out all fear. The result of having God's love perfected in us 
is an atmosphere that's free from anxiety or fear. A mentality that's not captive to anxiety or fear. An attitude or, or a spirit or a mindset, however you, you choose to look at it, what you're going to find when you see God's love perfected is going to be the absence of anxiety and fear. When we love one another, God's love abides in us and his love is perfected in us. According to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that means that that perfect love drives out or casts out all fear. I love the way that it's written there in 1 John 4.18. To drive out or to cast out. It doesn't just mean that God's love in its perfect form in our hearts or in our lives uh, is against fear or doesn't cooperate with fear or doesn't bear witness with fear. Rather, it means it's such a powerful present force that fear does not stand against it. It is cast out or driven out. It's not asked to leave, rather it's tossed out. And as we see God's love perfected in our lives, we see less and less room for uh, the, the effects of or the presence of anxiety and fear in our lives. It's one of the reasons why we've been focused on love, to find out what love is. Obviously, love is a very powerful thing, and according to 1 John, God is love. And we've taken this word and used it as a descriptive word to identify things that we like and, and other things. And, and oftentimes when, when things become common, they, they lose their potency, they lose their, their power. And for us, it's about making love an uncommon word once again. That we could understand what it means to love so that we could understand what we're committing to when we commit to love one another. So that we can understand what we receive when we receive God's love. We're turning to the scripture for the definition of love, and we've been looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, we see love is. Now, all of the words that follow love is uh, in regards to this passage are making up the, the definition of love, identifying the things that make up what love is. It's not one of these things, but rather it's all of these things. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own. Love is not provoked, it doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rather rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things, love never fails. So we've gone through this list, you know, beginning with patient and, and then kind and moving down the list to find out the things that make up love. And today we come to love endures all things. And I can tell you personally, it's a really powerful thing to consider. And, and when I say personally, I mean like to me, I mean in my mind and in my heart, when I come to study what it means to endure and I see that endurance is part of what makes up love, that you can't have love without endurance, I, I really personally find this to be one of the most uh, powerful attributes that make up love. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I can tell you that every relationship in my life that has involved love coming my way, me being the recipient of love, there has been a tremendous need for endurance. My wife just laughed. What does that mean? Would you like to come explain that? You wouldn't like to explain that? 
But when I think about God and His love for me, how much He's had to put up with. And, and I think that, that there's a, a, a movement, unfortunately, that, that love is, it can be without endurance. And there's a reason why we see so much separation and so much divorce and so much breaking of fellowship because we can say we love someone, but we don't want to endure. Therefore, we never actually loved based on the definition of love. Those might be very harsh words, and I'm not trying to spark a debate or pick a fight. It, it would be great to have conversation if someone disagreed with that. You can't have love without endurance. In every relationship that has involved love in my life has called upon endurance at a very high level. So what does it mean to endure? If we have to be able to endure in order to love, we need to know what that means. So I turn to the dictionary and we, we pull up a, a quick definition, a very short, brief definition, but to endure. To suffer patiently. To suffer something painful or difficult. Now oftentimes when we think about a loving relationship, we don't think about suffering. You know, we think of, of love in the form of like, where it's enjoyable and, and it's delightful. Daisies and roses, ice cream and cookies. I mean, love, warm and fuzzies. But the reality is love will require endurance in order to be love in the first place, and that will mean suffering patiently. Now, there's something great that comes with suffering patiently. Now, I know a lot of people think, well, I'm going to be slow to sign up for that, right? I mean, what if we, you know, had everyone here in church and, and I asked everyone, hey, take out your bulletin. I'd like to, to show you uh, some upcoming events and we've got a sign-up sheet out in the foyer, you know. Uh, this Tuesday, uh, we're going to suffer patiently. We hope you'll sign up and come be a part of that. It's going to be a great time. And it's only great if you're there because you make it awesome. You know, I'd, it probably wouldn't be a lot of names on that sign-up sheet. I mean, no one's thinking, Father... Give me the opportunity to suffer patiently. But yet we have a call upon our lives to love, and that call upon our lives means we're called to suffer patiently. And it has a wonderful benefit in the end. When you see the benefit, you can understand, hey, I think God's doing something here. That it's not just like, well, love is an interesting thing. You've got to take the good with the bad. It, it, the suffering patiently brings something incredible into our lives. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. It reads like this, For what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated and endure it with patience? So you see the, the word endure and you see the word patience there. But then it goes on to speak of another scenario. A scenario that is, is free from sin. It says, but when you do what is right, when you're living your life as you should, when you're following the will of God, when you're doing the things of God, when you're not following yourself, when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently, enduring it, this finds favor with God. Now, that's a really uh, poetic verse, and it's a wonderful thing to consider. Now, now, here's a question that I'd like to ask for you. How many of you have ever prayed for God's favor? Did you realize what you were praying for was an opportunity to patiently endure and suffer for doing what was right? Probably not. 
But yet those are the scenarios and the situations that produce the divine favor that we need, that we pray for, that we cry for. Even now in the days and the times that we live in, as bizarre and unusual as they are, as we're crying out for God's favor, we're positioning ourselves to hold fast to our faith, to hold fast to what is true, to hold fast to the will of God, and to patiently endure the situation that we're currently in. Believing wholeheartedly that that will find favor with God. So I want to give you a biblical definition of endurance. You know, I mean, we use multiple tools here when we're, when we're gaining understanding. You know, we've turned to the dictionary so we can understand the, the English uh, definition of the word. I mean, it's important to understand the words that make up the word. But I want to turn to uh, the, the concordance. A concordance helps with the translation of the scripture, going back to the original language, and and it provides a deep and rich understanding of the word being used. And when you look up the word endure, you're going to find a definition uh, similar to this, to undergo hardship, especially without giving in, Uh, to remain firm under suffering or misfortune without yielding. And then there's this third one. It's the third one here that I want to offer you that I I think we're going to dwell on the most. To remain in existence or to last. And and if we're going to just keep it simple, to remain or to last. To remain or to last. Endurance is something that we're called to. I mean, the scripture has, has a call on our life to endure. You remember before when I said how to beat temptation? We're going to find that in the scripture. You know, we have the three things there up at the front, and the first one was one thing, and then the second one. The second one was how to beat temptation. Now, I want everyone to pay close attention to that because temptation is, is a tricky business. I mean, everyone here deals with different temptation in accordance to your own uh, desires or, or even lusts would be the right word biblically. But the scripture gives us promise that there's no temptation that we can't overcome. So I want to give you a passage of scripture that reveals how to beat temptation. And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you but what is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But the temptation that comes, God will always provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. I want you to note the word endure. Consider the word endure, and then now let's consider what that means. And when we understand what it means, I think we'll be better equipped to deal with temptation in a biblical and godly way when temptation inevitably comes our way. That God would give us a way of escape so that we would be able to endure it. Now remember the definitions that we found in the concordance. To remain or to last. Basically what's being written here is that God will always provide a way out so that we'll be able to outlast temptation. I will be standing here long after temptation is gone. And I will not be swept away with it. 
When we see that this is an endurance thing, when we see that God is calling us to stand firm, to hold fast, to not be moved by the things that are fleeting and temporary, but to hold our ground, we can understand that's the key to victory. In any situation or circumstance, any temptation, any corruption against God's plans or His will, our call is to endure. And if it's endurance that is part of what makes up love, then it will be love where we find endurance. I'll give you several passages of Scripture for your notes regarding endurance. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. You'll see it throughout the Gospel. You'll see it in Matthew 24, 13, Mark 13, 13, Luke 21, 19. You see the same concept throughout the Scripture. And it's Jesus speaking, and he's speaking a powerful word that ought to be noted. The gist of what he's speaking throughout these passages is as follows. It is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Endured, the one that remains when all else falls away. The one that stands unmoved when all else is swept away. The one that has outlasted the affliction, has outlasted the temptation, the one that has hung in until the very last, this is the one who will be saved. Now when I read this passage of Scripture, my my longing for salvation, my longing for deliverance, my longing for the things of God brings me to an understanding when I see this Scripture that endurance is an important and necessary part of my life. And when I look upon our culture today, I see a desire to have all of the benefits of God's deliverance and all of the benefits of His salvation and all of the benefits of His kingdom with none of the suffering of endurance. But they cannot be separated. Endurance is taking us somewhere. I'll give you a a passage of Scripture. And this passage of Scripture comes from James chapter 1. We'll look at verses 2 through 4. Endurance is leading us somewhere. James writes in chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter hardship and trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And it goes on in verse 4 to describe why this is a good thing. And let endurance have its perfect result. So that you, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Well, it's an amazing passage of Scripture to read forwards. It's also an amazing passage of Scripture to consider backwards. I mean, in my life, if you were to take my prayer life, you would see a lot of prayers where I'm calling out to God to see to it that I'm lacking nothing, to see to it that I'm complete. I mean, oftentimes in my prayer of lack, I'm crying out to God to make provision. These days I'm realizing we've got two rolls of toilet paper left. It's time to cry out to God. Or go stand in line at Sam's, who's not respecting social distancing, by the way. But endurance has a result. And when you consider our lives, we desire to lack nothing. We desire to be complete. 
We desire to be perfect. We want our lives to be perfect. We want our marriage to not have strife. We want our children to behave. We want all of these things to be perfect. When I see that, that lacking nothing, being complete in perfection is the result of something, I realize now it's going to require that thing in order to get that result. And that thing is endurance. And endurance has a source according to what James wrote. That source is, is hardship or trial, the testing of your faith. I mean, right now is an amazing time. I consider where we're at right now a tremendous opportunity. Do you feel like faith is being tested right now? Do you feel like, like this is a trial or a hardship? And when I say this, I'm referring to the, the times that we're living in, the, the COVID-19 uh, uh, crisis and all of the anxiety and fear and misinformation in the news and all of these things. I mean, it is a real trial. It's a real hardship. But rather than see it as the sky is falling, I see it as a tremendous opportunity for every single believer to respond in such a way that it produces that which they cry for, that it produces the lacking of nothing. It produces a completion, a completion in their mind and in their heart and their faith and their family, that it produces a perfection that they've longed for. The reason why they would turn to God in the first place, open up the scripture, attend a church meeting or a prayer meeting, that longing for something to improve or to be transformed or changed for the better. And that's really the call that we have upon our lives. Jesus gave that call, and I often joke because I don't think it would be a very uh, uh, good way to get popular as a preacher. He stood and he preached a message that changed the world. And I have to thank with every word that he preached, people leaned in and were more moved and in awe of the Spirit of God flowing from him as he revealed words of truth. And then he closed his message with this. Rather than saying, God bless you, goodbye. Rather than saying, we'll see you next week. He closed his message and said, now therefore leave here and go be perfect. Just as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what's amazing is he wasn't being sarcastic. It wasn't a joke. That's the call that's upon our life. And it's a perfection that's going to come through endurance. Outlasting the things that are attempting to bring corruption and imperfection. Outlasting the things that are calling us to compromise. And right now, there are many voices calling for compromise. But for us to stand in wisdom and responsibly apply God's will and his call to our lives gives us a wonderful opportunity to endure and reap the benefits of endurance. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Hebrews. This may explain what's going on in your life somewhat. I know there have been times I've looked at it and thought, oh yeah, well, that makes sense. That's what's happening in my life right now. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It reads like this. If you, if you read it, and this is taking it from a New American Standard, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as his children. Or God deals with you as sons. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. I want to just pause there for a second. And realize that something's being revealed here that we ought to take note of. And it helps me to alter one word in the passage there. And you don't alter it. You're not changing it. 
Rather, you're simply adjusting it. Now, when I grew up in, in English class, you know, we learned that the English language is a bit tricky. We have words that can be substituted for other words uh, like or as, right? I mean, you could say, you know, uh, that uh, Preston is like a wonderful preacher. Or you could say Preston is as a wonderful preacher. That was your chance to amen and really help kind of get things moving. And you missed it. You, you totally missed it. It actually wasn't that good of an example. But you get those words are interchangeable, like and as. Well, there's a word that can be changed with, with for. And it would be the word because, right? I mean, I could say like, hey, you know, I really hope that he wraps this message up uh, because I'm hungry. Or I could say, you know, I really hope he wraps this message up for I am hungry. Now, one of those ways is a little dated. We don't really say for anymore. You know, I don't go home and say, honey, would you make me a sandwich for I am hungry? You know, I would go home and say, hey, you know, uh, would you make me a sandwich because I'm hungry? And she would say, you know, you know where the stuff's at. You, you can make it for I am busy. And, and then I would say, well, never mind. We'll, we'll just end it right there. But when you take the word for there and you substitute the word because, I think it, it helps us, the way we speak, you know. I mean, we just are a little less formal in our, our speaking. So let's put the word because in there. Uh, it's because of discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. It's because of discipline that you endure. So, I mean, I'm thinking, God, why would you include endurance in my life? When I signed up for the gospel, I didn't sign up for the suffering patiently part. Why would you include that? I mean, is it a bait and switch? Were you kind of suckering in as many people as you could? Hey, you want everlasting life? Hey, you want joy, righteousness, and peace in the Holy Ghost? Sign up for Jesus right here. And then, oh, you didn't read the fine print? Oh, it involves a lot of endurance and suffering patiently. But we, we try not to advertise that because it's not good for business. I mean, it's not a scam. God's doing something with that endurance. It has a purpose. And in my life and in your life, it's because of discipline that we endure. God's positioning us in, in the, the place where endurance is required in order to discipline us. That's the reason why. And now here's a wonderful thing that we have to understand. We have to know what it means to be disciplined. And oftentimes, if our minds are, are allowed to wander or if they've not been renewed with the reality and understanding of who God is, we can very easily fall into a trap of confusing discipline with punishment. We need to make sure that we understand what discipline means in order to understand this passage of Scripture and how wonderful it is. So if there's any confusion of discipline and punishment, let me give you a definition. A definition of the word punishment. If you go to the dictionary and you look up the word punishment, you'll find something similar to what follows. The infliction or imposition of a penalty as retribution for an offense. So let me give you that in Texas terms. It's called payback. Payback. And it's very important as parents that we learn not to punish our kids, you know, I mean, my kids don't break the rules, makes me mad, now I'm going to pay you back, boy. This, it's terrible. 
Punishment is not what we deal in or operate in. Rather, discipline, on the other hand, is a very biblical thing, a wonderful thing. And if you go to the dictionary for discipline, you'll see a, a definition that it reads as follows. Training that corrects, molds, or perfects. Do you see the word perfect there? That call to be perfect, to be perfected? Training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Punishment is payback. Discipline is training. So when I go back to that passage in Hebrews, wondering why God would bring endurance into my life, is it because Jesus is so insecure, he suffered the cross, and he wants me to get a little taste of it so that I'll know what he went through? No, there's not an insecure bone in Jesus' body. God is doing something great in us. He brings the need for us to endure in order that we might be disciplined or in order that we might be corrected, molded, or perfected in our mind and in our morality so that we can grow and mature. Right now, what we're going through is a wonderful opportunity to grow and mature as Christians, to grow and mature as the body, to grow and mature in every aspect of our living. It's in order to discipline or in order to grow us, mold us, perfect us, correct us, train us in our minds and in our character that God puts us in positions where endurance is required. Why? Because God deals with us as children. He loves us and he's raising us up. The word says that the one that God loves, he disciplines, even as a father disciplines his own son in whom he delights. It's pulled from the Old Testament. It's quoted again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. God delights in you. He loves you. He loves the church. And he delights in the church. And he's putting us in the position where we are required to endure in order that we might be disciplined by definition that we might be trained corrected, molded, or perfected in how we think and how we behave. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here out of Hebrews 12, the first verses, 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He's now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It goes on to say, For consider Jesus, who endured such hostility by sinners against him, so that you, will not grow weary, <clears throat> excuse me, or lose heart. There's three passages there, but there's infinite wealth of information, powerful truth, that we have a call in our life to endure. And in that call to endure, we're meant to set something before our eyes. And in this, it's not something, rather it's someone, it's Jesus. In fact, when you read verse 3 there, you see, consider him. Think of Jesus who endured such horrible hostility at the hands of sinners against himself so that, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. When we consider that God is faithful, 
that there is a finish line and there is a reward for running the race. We can keep our eyes on that line, keep our eyes on God's promise, and we can run and run and run and run, free from the distractions that would tell us to stop. We can endure. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here out of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. It says, for you have need of endurance. I mean, you could just stop there and realize, yep, he's talking to me. You need endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. We need endurance so that when we've done the will of God, we may receive the promise. I want to give you a series of scriptures here. I mentioned before the third thing that we were going to find is what we need in order to receive God's promise. What we need in order to receive God's promise. Do you see it there in Hebrews 10.36? You have need of endurance. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. It's endurance that we need. When it comes to receiving the promise of God in any capacity whatsoever, it's endurance that's necessary. I'll give you a few passages of Scripture here that just make up a timeline, an example of receiving the promise of God, in this case, the promised Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49, Jesus tells the disciples to go and wait. He tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait. And don't you know, the whole time that they're there waiting, there's a nagging temptation a thought, a, a seed, an attempt to bring doubt. Do you think it's going to happen? Do you think, we sh have we waited too long? Did we miss it? Did, did it already happen and we just didn't catch it? Or, or maybe, you know, it, it's been long enough and we're good now. <clears throat> but he told them to wait. The promise was, was introduced and it was spoken of, but it was understood that it was going to require waiting patiently. And then Acts chapter 1 verse 4, they're told not to leave. Don't leave, but wait. Wait for the promise. I mean, wait for the promise is written in the scripture so plainly and clearly. I think you could make a bumper sticker. I think you could make a t-shirt. I think it's a pretty awesome thing to consider. Wait for the promise. I mean, it could literally be a slogan among Christians. Wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. I tell you, it could really shorten some of the counseling appointments that I've had if everyone could just take those words and run with them. Oh, your marriage is in trouble? Wait for the promise. Your children are having issues? Wait for the promise. You're having fear and doubt and anxiety? Wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. Jesus said, don't leave. Don't be so easily moved by outside influences who will tell you you're wasting your time or you're missing the boat or that it doesn't work. But wait. Wait for the promise. Those who stood fast to the words of Christ and were enduring then received in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 33 when the description of what had taken place upon receiving the promise the words were used that the promise that was promised was poured out upon us. Acts chapter 2 verse 39 
It wasn't just poured out upon us, but it's for us and our children or for you and your children is how it's worded. What that tells me is endurance is not just for me, but it's for the next generation. How we carry ourselves in any trial or tribulation is going to affect who comes next. Now, I've wanted to limit my soapbox here, but even during our current trials and our current hardships, I have deep concern with how people have handled themselves, and I'm wondering, how will it be then for my kids next time around? If we are handling ourselves like this now, how will it be later? If we can't endure hardship now, how bad will it be then one generation from now? But our ability to endure, our ability to hold fast, our ability to maintain A solid foundation on the Word of God will have an effect on the next generation. And then you see another element in this timeline when you get to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, when it refers to the people of God being sealed by the promise of God, the Holy Ghost. Being sealed by the promise of God, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, another generation being secured, all of these things came down to one group of people's willingness to endure. And love endures all things. You know, when we've talked about love and we've talked about, you know, believing all things and bearing all things, now we're at enduring all things, I think there's a reason why the word included all things. It's absolute. I mean, right here and now, you could never say, well, but what if? Well, but what if? All things will include everything. We have a call to function and operate under God's love being poured into our lives and through God's love being poured out of our lives. We have a call for endurance to exist. An endurance that's necessary to overcome temptation, to wait out every hardship, to endure every hardship in such a way that it produces that perfection, that correction, that training that it's meant to produce. As God has placed us as his children in the position to endure, he's done so because he's disciplining, leading, guiding, and growing. I want to pray, I want to close, and I want to invite uh, Thomas to come and share a brief report. But there where you sit, uh, I want to pray, and I want to pray for us collectively. As it regards endurance, I want to ask God to open our hearts and our minds to understand what it is that he's doing. That we might have eyes to see that he's raising us, that he's growing us. That we wouldn't just see hardship and difficulty, but that we would see opportunity intentionally placed in our lives to bring about growth and maturity and perfection. And then where you are, I'd just like for you to be either in a state of receiving or in a state of agreement. But I want to trust God to do these things for us. Because it's going to be impossible for us to love without endurance. I want to ask God to affect our mind, our eyes, and our hearts in such a way that we can be a people who will endure. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. I thank you for your word. We thank you for the example we have in Jesus. We thank you for the example we have in your love. I rejoice in that you would endure in your loving kindness toward me. 
and your loving kindness towards your people. You would never grow weary. You would never withhold. Or that you would never take back your love and your affection for us. But that you would endure. I thank you for the call to endure that you've placed upon our lives. I ask now in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, by the truth of your word, let a work be done in our hearts and in our minds. That a new understanding and an awareness of what you're doing in our lives through every trial, through every hardship, would bring us to a place where we can truly rejoice, knowing and understanding truly that you're growing us, that you're leading us and molding us, that you're correcting us, that you're taking out all of the thoughts and the attitudes that are corrupt that would lead to, to a lack of fruitfulness and that you're imparting the mentalities and the attitudes that would lead to a fruitful life in your kingdom. And let there be a surrender to these things with understanding. That as we walk through trial and hardship, we would know our call and our place to endure trusting that this finds favor with you. And let your favor be abundant among your people. Let our lives be a testimony of favor. That when those who would look upon our lives would see the blessing and the richness of your presence and your provision in our lives, they would be moved to seek that which we know and that which we walk in. Let endurance be embraced. And let it be revealed in our love for one another that we would not fall into the deception that you can love without endurance. But let us be a people who would stand as a testimony that love endures all things. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chancechurch.com.